Wednesday, August 14th, 2013, episode number 57 of the Football Nation Today podcast with Alex Reamer on footballnation.com. Welcome inside episode number 57 of the Football Nation Today podcast, hosted by yours truly, Alex Reamer, here on this Wednesday, August 14th. Hopefully you all are enjoying the final weeks of summer, spending a lot of time outside, and not a lot of time inside, tweeting about the series finale of Breaking Bad. Ay, 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 I know it's a great TV show and all, and, and all, but come on, people. Get a grip. But we do talk football. It's not just angry, bitter ranting. There's a lot of that, too. But we do talk football here at Football Nation today. Coming up momentarily in the first down segment, we'll take a look at some of the biggest storylines from training camp over the past week. Going to lead off with an evolving opinion I have on Tim Tebow, who played the majority of the Patriots preseason opener last Friday night against the Eagles. Now, you may know that I've been a Tebow supporter in the past. I have advocated for teams in this league to give him another chance to be a quarterback. It perplexed me this offseason when nobody wanted Tebow and the Patriots picked him up to be their third-string quarterback. I couldn't fathom why the Jaguars or the Browns or some other downtrodden franchise didn't give Tebow a chance. (laughs) But after watching him for two-plus quarters last Friday night, mm, I could figure out why a lot of teams, in fact, every team, didn't want to give this guy a chance to be a starting quarterback this year. He sucks on ice. Oh, he's awful. I've, I've switched sides on the Tebow debate. I know that is groundbreaking news. The guy stinks. He can't throw. He doesn't have a future in this league. This is now his fourth year, and he isn't any more accurate now than he was in 2010. So I've switched sides with Tebow, an evolving opinion. We'll lead off the first down segment with that. I know that will make some of you out there very pleased. Then we'll also talk about another quarterback who can throw, Robert Griffin, except his coach Mike Shanahan isn't letting him, keeping Griffin out of contact drills and preseason games. There's been a lot of back and forth with this over the past number of days, and I, for one, am beyond annoyed with this story. It's a story that's updated daily that doesn't have to be. There isn't all that much to it. You have a player who wants to play a coach who wants to protect the player and the long-term interests, which is a welcome change from the reckless way in which Shanahan handled Griffin last year in that playoff game against Seattle. But to me, the story is how Robert Griffin doesn't shut up about it, how he's so worried about the perception of himself, he continually speaking out against his coach, against his organization, and causing all of this unneeded controversy. Speaking of controversy, New Eagles cornerback Kerry Williams called his team soft, We'll talk about that and whether the Eagles' defense needs to toughen up to improve this season. Then the second down segment, we take a look at one of the bigger off-field football stories from the past week. A few weeks ago, I defended my man Johnny Manziel, and I will still defend his right to party and tweet drunk any day of the week. However, signing autographs? Mm, I know, it's a stupid rule. College football players should be paid for their autographs. They should be paid in general. But the fact is, a rule is a rule. And Manziel brazenly broke a rule. He signed 4,400 autographs as of this recording. That's what we know. Maybe there are more of them. Mm-mm. Not a good move, Johnny Football. Not a good move at all. We'll talk about that. Then the third down segment, it's a big upper slowdown segment, debating whether or not Eagles owner Jim Ursay uh, 
did uh, did the right thing in tweeting an apology to his fan base after a preseason loss. Uh, Jay Cutler threw an interception in his first pass of the preseason last week. <laughs> Is that a harbinger of things to come? And Adrian Peterson says he considers PED allegations to be a compliment because, of course, he's never used them. Buying what AP is saying? Then the fourth down segment, Zarima Rant, Bengals defender James Harrison. Yes, our old friend James Harrison says the Hard Knocks camera crew doesn't deserve to be in the sacred Bengals locker room. These football players, huh? They think they're doing God's work when they're just playing football. Talk a little about James Harrison as well. It's Football Nation Today. My name's Alex Reamer. Back after this. So I said I would begin here with my evolving opinion on Tim Tebow. And let me predicate this by saying the biggest reason why I was a quote-unquote Tebow defender over the past year plus has been the fact that I always said Tebow deserved a chance because he possesses the intangibles you cannot teach. I thought you could teach him to become a better passer, be more accurate, have better mechanics, read defenses better. I thought over time, an athlete the caliber of Tim Tebow, a football player, quite frankly, the caliber of Tim Tebow, would be able to improve as a quarterback in the NFL. Put him around veterans, put him around the best coaches in the world, and I thought Tebow had a real shot to improve. Someone just had to give him that opportunity. But man, after watching him on Friday night, entered the Patriots preseason game towards the end of the second quarter, went back up Ryan Mallett, got knocked out with a head injury. After watching him last Friday night, against a bad Eagles defense with third and fourth stringers, by the way. I see that I was wrong. Very wrong on Tebow. I've concluded this, folks. The Patriots are not building towards anything with Tim Tebow. So why is he here? You look at the offense they run with Tebow at the helm. It's far different than anything the Patriots would normally run with Tom Brady or even Mallett, who, oh, by the way, is no great shakes himself. But at least Mallett can kind of throw the football, as in he can throw it more than 10 yards down the field. Uh, Tebow can't do it. Still can't. There was a lot of read option, which means a lot of Tebow running around aimlessly before getting sacked or throwing the ball, or throwing the ball away. Tebow was sacked three times for a combined loss of 23 yards on Friday night. He only completed four of 12 passes for 55 yards, and three of those four passes were either screen plays or dump-offs. It did not look good. It wasn't even the Patriots' offense. Now, I know what you're saying. You know, if you might still be a Tebow guy out there, Alex, what are you getting all worked up for? It's highly unlikely Tebow will be a factor this season, and I understand that, but crazier things have happened. It was just two seasons ago when the Texans had to start their third-string quarterback, T.J. Yates, in a playoff game. It's a one-in-a-million chance, but there's still that chance. And what value does it bring to you to have a backup quarterback on your team, even a third-string quarterback, who doesn't even run your offense? I mean, when are the Patriots going to have time to, bra to practice this read-option pistol offense with Tebow? When are they going to have the time to practice this? They're not going to. I don't understand 
What good it does the Patriots to have a guy on their roster in Tebow who runs a completely different offense from Brady or even Mallett? You know, I go back to Tebow's skills as a quarterback. They have not improved since Josh McDaniels drafted him in the first round with the Broncos in 2010. This is anecdotal, I know, but I remember from watching that game, one play in particular, there were a number of plays, but one play in particular, Tebow's rolling out to his left. He has Zach Sudfeld, who's a monster of a man. He's like 6'7", right? Right in front of him, right in his face. And he tucks the ball and gets sacked. Doesn't throw it to Sudfeld, who's wide open, right in front of him, rolling to, the, rolling to your left. Your left-handed thrower should be one of the easiest plays in the book. And Tebow couldn't see Sudfeld, who's 6'7", in front of him, tucked the ball under his arms, ran around aimlessly, and was sacked for a loss. Four years in the league, it hasn't improved. And the followers of Tebowism, and I used to be one of these followers, will point to Tebow's 7-4 record as a starter with the Broncos in 2011. They'll point to his playoff win over the Steelers in that year's playoffs. But they'll ignore the fact that the Broncos were more lucky than good that season, that Tebow's win-loss record is more of a product of luck than skill. They'll ignore the fact that Tebow only had a completion percentage higher than 50% twice that season, or that the Steelers refused to cover receiver Demarius Thomas on a screen pass in overtime, which resulted in the game-winning 80-yard touchdown. That, the kind of offense Tebow runs would not win long-term in the NFL. I know the league is going into a more read-option direction. More quarterbacks are running some form of the pistol offense, the pistol formation. But here's the difference between Tebow and Robert Griffin and Russell Wilson and Colin Kaepernick. The difference is those guys can throw. Tebow cannot. And you even look at Tebow as an athlete. You compare him to guys like E.J. Manuel, who impressed in his first preseason game with Buffalo last week, or Geno Smith, who I know is injured, but still play along, or even backups like Terrell Pryor with Oakland, or Dennis Dixon with the Eagles. Those guys even are better athletes than Tebow is. They're faster than Tebow. They're more elusive than Tebow. Tebow's a fullback who's still trying to play quarterback, and I'm not saying you have him change positions. I think it's too late in the game for that. I think he is what he is. I just don't see the reward here with the Tebow signing. I don't, there's not a lot of risk, I'll admit that. He's still the 53rd guy on the roster, but since when is Bill Belichick in the business of wasting roster spots on his offensive coordinator's pet project? Said it at the time of the Tebow signing, I'll say it again now. The biggest news story to me in regards to this season is what it says about Josh McDaniel's influence with Belichick and within the Patriot organization. Because over the past two seasons, we've seen a lot of former Broncos and former Rams make their way through Foxborough. Danny Amendola, Tebow, last year Brandon Lloyd, Hooman, Michael Hoomananui, however you pronounce his name, the tight end. On and on the list goes. And few of these guys, by the way, have worked out. We'll see about Amendola. I know Tebow won't work out because he still can't throw. And to be an NFL quarterback, you have to throw. And the thought is out there that, hey, Alex, you know, I mean, Patriots are going to groom Tebow four or five years down the line to take over for Brady when all is said and done. And you know what? I don't want to be here for that day. 
if that day is coming, I don't want to be here for it. I don't want to watch a Patriot offense with Tim Tebow at the helm that's predicated on the read option and the pistol formation and QB draws. Because as I said, that offense will not win long-term in this league, especially with a guy at quarterback who can't throw the ball more than seven yards accurately. Tebow, still, in year four, is a gimmick. He would have been a good fit for the Jaguars or the Browns or the Cardinals or a team like that, a team desperate for relevancy and a little Tebow magic. You put in Tim Tebow on a whim, maybe he wins you a couple games, pulls him out of his ass. But a team like the Patriots has Super Bowl aspirations. They cannot afford to waste a roster spot. And Tim Tebow, as a third-string quarterback who doesn't even run your offense or anything remotely similar to your offense with your other two quarterbacks, is completely useless to you. Completely useless. So I've completely turned around on Tebow. I've switched sides of the conversation. He's a waste of a roster spot. He's a waste of time for the Patriots. Not going to happen for him here. And I'm not sure it's going to happen for him anywhere. Now, it has happened for Robert Griffin. We'll reach, he had a terrific rookie season. Of course, we saw him lumbering out there against Seattle in the playoffs last year. Had reconstructive knee surgery. He is back. He will return to full teamwork today. But he'll be limited to 7-on-7 seven seven work. He'll also run the first unit during the morning walkthrough. But he'll be relegated to facing the scout team. The Redskins and Mike Shanahan continue to try to protect him from getting hit. Griffin, of course, will not play in any preseason games either. Now, Griffin is very upset with how conservatively Shanahan has handled him. Tweeted out, there is no controversy. There is no rift. But read these quotes, or listen to me read these quotes, and then you decide for yourselves. Griffin said this about whether or not he understands the plan. Quote, no, I do not like it. I don't understand all of it. But Shanahan gave me his word. When you give your word to somebody, that's all they have. So I'm just banking that they, say, that they stay true to their word, and I'm staying true to mine. I'm doing everything they ask me to do without any gripes. Um, no, you're griping right now. I guess the media doesn't count. My, re my, e my reintegration on the team has been fixed without any aspect of how I'm doing personally with my knee surgery and with my knee rehab, it's predetermined. That's one thing I don't understand. What coach says is 100% right. I don't have to understand it. I don't have to like it. If he plays in week one and I'm ready to go, then I'll give him a salute and I'll play my butt off for him. So Robert Griffin is talking out of both sides of his mouth. One hand, he says, they ask me to do what they want, what they want me to do without any gripes. Okay? But then he says... My reintegration to the team has been fixed without any aspect of how I'm doing personally. It's predetermined. And that sounds like a pretty big gripe to me, Robert. Uh, and, you know, he goes on to say a lot more things about, you know, Shanahan's poor handling of him or what he perceives as a poor handling of him. And, you know, on the surface, there's no problem with this. You have the player in Robert Griffin who wants to get on the field as quickly as possible. He's a competitor. That's why he wanted to stay in that playoff game last January when clearly Kirk Cousins would have been the better option because Robert Griffin could barely walk, never mind run and play quarterback. Now Mike Shanahan messed up and messed up royally in that playoff game last January by taking Griffin at his word and keeping him in the game until close to the bitter end. 
And now Shanahan is acting like a head coach and preserving Griffin for the long term and for games that actually matter. So on the surface, it's fine. You have the player who wants to play and who's short-sighted because most players are short-sighted. And you have the coach who's taking the long-term picture into account. Fine. No problem with it. So where's the story? The story is Robert Griffin continues to flap his gums about this on almost a daily basis. You know, if Robert Griffin has all these gripes, and he says he doesn't have gripes, but I just read you a pretty long gripe, he should take it up with Shanahan and the coaching staff privately. You know, I think Robert Griffin may have watched the NBA playoffs last year and may have seen Derrick Rose of the Bulls sitting on the sidelines and the national media and some members of Chicago media, you know, questioning Rose and his competitiveness. And, or maybe even here, maybe he's a Red Sox fan. I don't know. And Clay Buckholtz, ace of the staff, has been out for three and a half months now with an undetermined, you know, neck injury or shoulder injury. And every fan and media personality is questioning his toughness. And maybe Robert Griffin sees all this and hears all this and says, you know what, I just want it to be known. I'm not playing in the preseason, not because I don't want to, but because the team, the coach doesn't want me to. I don't want anyone to get the perception that Robert Griffin III is soft. And maybe that's the way he's thinking, but that's a stupid way to think. And it's almost a destructive way to think. He's creating a rift. He's creating a controversy that is not there. So I'm sick of this story. I'm sick of Robert Griffin talking. The Redskins and Mike Shanahan are handling this properly. Kudos to them. They've rectified their mistakes, or seemingly have rectified their mistakes, from a season ago. And if Robert Griffin wants to play, wants to get back, practice with his team, I understand that. But he should also be savvy enough to not air all this dirty laundry through the media. Because it creates a bleep storm. Especially in the middle of August, the dead month of sports, when nothing else is going on. So a bad move here by Robert Griffin continually taking all this public. Now, Eagles cornerback Kerry Williams had some things to say to the media about his team's performance thus far in training camp in their first preseason game against the Patriots. Williams last week was ejected from a scrimmage for scuffling with Patriots rookie wide receiver Aaron Dobson. Williams went on to say that the Patriots didn't treat the Eagles defense with enough respect. This is according the Philadelphia Magazine, Williams said, quote, they came in there talking, referring to the Pats. They had a lot of jokes and he-he's and laughs, a lot of dirty plays that were going on. So there was a reason behind what I did. There was a reason behind the madness. Williams continues, at the end of the day, I've still got to do things the way coach wants me to do it. And I understand that. Chip Kelly uh, ejected him from a practice following the scuffle with Dobson. Uh, but it definitely would have been a different situation if it was in Baltimore. It wouldn't have been a fun practice for the Patriots, I can tell you that. I feel like we need the nasty, no question. I feel like we need to establish a tenacity, a hard-nosed defense, something that is feared when it, comes to, when it comes out there each and every week. I think Brian Dawkins alluded to it a couple times when I spoke to him. He's talking about bring that fear back here. Right now, I don't know if there's anybody out there in this league that fears this defense, especially after last week. Okay, so Williams, with some very strong words about the lack of toughness he's seeing with his new team. Coach Chip Kelly, as I said, ejected Williams from practice last week and simply said, if you do that in a game, you're kicked out, so we practice like we play. And we commend Chip Kelly for saying that because it makes perfect sense. Practice like you play. And the Eagles' defense's problem is not that they're not tough enough. It's that they're not good enough. They surrendered 
27.8 points per game last season. Good for 30th in the league. Wretched. I don't see a lot of talent on this defense right now. And I understand Williams wants to rile up his team, but this is his first year with the Eagles, and he missed most of the offseason camps anyway. And as I said, Chip Kelly is right. You don't get better by practicing how to bring the nasty. You get better by practicing schemes and trying to work cohesively as a unit. It's good to have an edge. And there's obviously an intangible physical element to football and playing defense in the NFL. There is. But you need to have the talent first. The Ravens had that physical edge last season, but they also had the talent. Haloti Nada. Terrell Suggs, Danelle Ellerby, Paul Kruger, Ed Reed, Bernard Pollard, go down on the line. I didn't mention Ray Lewis there, because last year I think Lewis wasn't much of a positive factor on the field. You can talk about the intangible value Lewis brought to the team, and I'm willing to have that conversation. But the main reason why the Ravens were as good on defense last year, and have been four years is not because they just bring the nasty, which they certainly do, but they have the talent. It's talent. It's a talent league. Everything else is secondary. So that's the problem with the Eagles. Are they soft? Yes, they're soft. But are they soft because they just don't bring the nasty enough? Or are they soft because they just don't have the players? Are they soft because they just don't have the corners who can cover receivers or pass rushers who can get to the quarterback? I'll go with the latter rather than the former. Moving on to our second down segment where we discuss one of the bigger off-field football stories of the past week. We usually talk about an NFL story in this space, but next year at this time, the reigning Heisman Trophy winner, Johnny Football, Johnny Manziel, will be in the league unless he totally self-destructs. We had some fun with Manziel a couple weeks ago. I went on a pretty impassioned rant. Defending Manziel, defending his right to party, defending his right to go out, defending his right to tweet, defending his right to have a social life at 20 years old. All these people criticizing him for going out and having a good time in the offseason, please get a grip. Manziel is a leader, and I said a leader to what? To whom? If you're telling your 10-year-old son to look up to Johnny Manziel, a 20-year-old college quarterback, that's your problem as a parent, not Manziel's problem. And I still believe everything I said a couple weeks ago. But this is different. What's come out now about Manziel, as you know, he's in trouble for getting paid for signing autographs. New allegations came forth late Monday night, originally reported by ESPN's Outside the Lines. It stated Manziel took part in two additional autograph sessions for dealers. That would make six signings for three brokers, which reportedly took place throughout the month of January following the BCS. Estimates say Manziel signed his name more than 4,400 times in these sessions. So as I said in the opening of the show, this was a brazen disregard for NCAA rules. And of course Manziel got paid. You don't sign your name 4,400 times just for charity. I mean, at least I don't assume you do. So I'm assuming he got paid. I'm assuming he got paid well. Signing his name six times, three brokers, 4,400 uh, signatures in total. Now, of course, even if the money is deferred until Manziel turns pro, this still violates NCAA policy. Players cannot sign autographs for money. They can't make any money while playing college athletics. And it's a stupid rule, and the NCAA is arguably the most hypocritical governing body in this country, which says a lot, 
I mean, we know it's a bad rule. Everybody involved in collegiate sports gets paid except the players. And the players, oh, by the way, are the people who the fans are paying to see. Sorry, Urban Meyer, but nobody is paying to see you stand on the sidelines and bark into your headset. They're paying to see the players. And you go to the you know, Texas A&M fan shop over there at College Station. They're selling number two, jer- they're selling number two jerseys. They're selling Manziel jerseys. They're doing all that. And, you know, Jay Billis went on a great Twitter rant last week talking about, oh, you can buy a Johnny Manziel jersey on some NCAA website. So, yeah, the NCAA littered with hypocrites. It's a bad rule. It needs to be changed. And college football players, Division I collegiate athletes, should get a cut of the revenue they bring into these schools. Now, what kind of system do you want to implement? That's a different conversation for a different day. But, you know eventually we'll come up with a system that makes sense that's not my that's not the problem right now it's a bad rule and there is a solution the solution is these players should get some cut of the revenue how much of a cut should each player get the same or players get different i don't know that's not the issue we're talking about right now just looking at the rule is it a bad rule yes it's a bad rule players should get a cut of the revenue they bring into these schools these schools make millions upon millions of dollars off of them They're the show, not the coaching staff, not the administrators. So it's a bad rule. We get that. Now, you may say, well, Alex, these football players are under scholarship. They're going to school for free. So they are, in a way, getting paid. No, 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 no. Don't start that. Because kids who are under academic scholarship can still get paid for using their intelligence. For example, it's not illegal for kids under academic scholarship to be tutors, right? So please, I I agree. Bad rule. And this exposes the hypocrisy of the rule more than anything else. But the fact is, it's still a rule. And Manziel used poor judgment in brazenly breaking this rule. He signed his name 4,400 times. This was not a one-time occurrence. And this does bring Manziel's decision-making into question. Because it's a rule. And he could get suspended for violating this rule. And my argument with Manziel a couple weeks ago was, if his off-field behavior, if anything he does off the field begins to affect his performance on the field, then we can have a talk. But until then, let's leave it alone. Let's let him be. Well, now, if he gets suspended for violating these rules, signing autographs for cash, doing autograph shows, this could result... This could harm his performance because he wouldn't be on the field. He'd be suspended. Duh. So, yeah, now we can have that conversation about Manziel and his poor decision-making ability off the field. He openly violated NCAA policy. A stupid policy, yes, but a policy nonetheless. So, yeah, I am going to be critical of Manziel here for openly violating a rule like this, a rule in which he can get suspended for violating, and thus harm his performance on the field, harm his team on the field, because he wouldn't be playing. He'd be suspended. It's a hypocritical rule, yes, but that's a different conversation. The fact is, it's still a rule. You gotta play within the rules. You can't brazenly break the rules like Manziel did this offseason. Moving on to our third down segment. It's the Big Upper Slowdown segment. I say a statement and then express my agreement or disagreement with that statement by saying Big Upper Slowdown. Topic number one, Colts owner Jim Irsay tweeted an apology to fans this week 
after the Colts' 44-20 preseason loss to the Bills. Adrian Manuel looked great. He led a 95-yard scoring drive to close out the first half. He finished going 16 for 21 passing for 107 yards overall. Ursay said in his tweet, quote, many starters played briefly or, or were nursing little injuries, but it was a crap performance. My apologies slash my commanders got an earful from me. Hmm, skillful by Ursay to fit all that with 140 characters. He's definitely an experienced tweeter. Big up or slow down, was this apology necessary? The honor apologizing to fans for a poor performance in the preseason. And I say slow down. No, this apology was totally not necessary. It was the first preseason game. Get a grip. Anybody going to that game who expected to see starters play for longer than a brief period of time is out of his or her mind. Ursay is out of his mind for telling fans he scolded his team after a preseason loss. These games don't count. In baseball, you don't evaluate what players do in March. And in football, you don't evaluate what players do in August. It's as simple as that. Teams and veterans are holding back. You can evaluate the bottom guys on your roster, which is what I did on Friday night watching the Patriots. I evaluated Tebow. You can evaluate the bottom guys on the roster because they're fighting for jobs. But for veterans, established starters... No, it's useless to evaluate them off of preseason performance. It's useless to evaluate your team, your first unit, your second unit, off of a preseason performance. And that's exactly what Ursay did. And he took it to Twitter in a stupid fashion. If anything, Ursay and the other 31 owners should apologize to fans for issuing regular season ticket prices for preseason games. That's what Ursay should be apologizing for. But we know that'll never happen. So he's going to take rage, his rage, out on his players for delivering his fans a subpar product when, in fact, subpar product and preseason football are synonymous with each other. Why? Because you're playing third, fourth, and fifth stringers, especially early on. And that's the way it should be. These games don't matter. So no, Jim Irsay did not have to apologize to his fans. And the fact that he did, if I recall, it's going to make me concerned. This guy actually did go in there and scold his team after a loss in the first preseason game. Talk about not having your priorities in order. Topic number two, Bears quarterback Jay Cutler threw an interception. First game of the preseason last week. Is that a harbinger of things to come for the Bears in Cutler? Big up or slow down? I say totally big up here. Jay Cutler sucks. In a full season, he's never thrown fewer than 14 interceptions. His awareness and decision-making has not improved all that much since entering the league. I know over the years, the Broncos, uh, the Bears rather, haven't given him all that much to work with. That was fun a few years ago and he went into the season with like Earl Bennett as, in, as his number one receiver. Remember that? And the ongoing, you know, the ongoing project to convert Devin Hester into a top wideout, please. No real running game either. So I understand Cutler hasn't had a whole lot to work with. And I understand he and Mike March were not a great match. That Bears offense and March were not a great match. He was insistent on running the on, you know, running the greatest show on turf with a subpar offensive line, a quarterback who wasn't mobile, and no receivers. I understand that. But still, Jay Cutler has not shown himself to be a competent decision maker as a starting quarterback in this league. 
Reggie the stat, never thrown fewer than 14 interceptions in a full season. At what stage do you say you are? You are. I think that's what Jay Cutler is. He's a guy who in a down year for the NFC North might, might sneak the Bears into the playoffs. But it's going to be on him this year because Erlacher's retired. The defense is getting older. Didn't make any significant improvements to it this offseason. Bears hired an offensive-minded coach in Mark Tressman. They're going to rely more on their offense than ever before. And with Jay Cutler at the helm, mm, and the weapons around him, or lack thereof, I should say, I don't know. I don't know if that's a recipe for success. I think that is a harbinger of things to come for the Bears this season. Final question here. Kings running back Adrian Peterson says he considers PED allegations to be a compliment. All right. Peterson, you on steroids? No, I'm not, but thanks for the compliment. Am I buying what he's saying? Big up or slow down? No. Slow down here. Buying what he's saying. Oh, I've never used steroids. I don't even know what they are, really. Mm -hmm. PED, so that's a compliment. Thank you. Well, I'm doing so well. I didn't know that. Oh, it's so flattering that people think I'm so good. He tore his ACL and MCL in December of 2011. Peterson was backed by the second week in September of 2012. Took nine or ten months to recover. It doesn't make sense. And that's okay. But as we've covered before on this show, I think it's all right to speculate about PED use. I'm not sure if you can accuse, like Jack Clark did last week with Albert Pujols, especially 10 years after a supposed conversation with a trainer. I'm not sure how appropriate that is. But I certainly think you can speculate. I mean, just look at it. Peterson tore his ACL and MCL in December of 2011. He's back second week of September of 2012. And oh, by the way, has the greatest season a running back has ever had. I mean, come on. Something doesn't add up here, and the same can be said for Robert Griffin, and I'm fine with that. It's a better product when Peterson and Griffin and these star players recover from quick, uh, recover quickly from serious injuries. It's in the best interest of the league. It a, means a better product for us, the fans and viewers. So I'm okay with that. But, you know, why say anything at all? Because anything you say if you're using any sort of PED could only come back and hurt you. Just, I, just, I just don't love the lying. I don't, I, I don't love it. Do I have proof that Peterson has used steroids? No, I don't have any hard proof. But a guy returns from ACL and MCL injury nine or ten months later, has a great season, arguably the best season running back has ever had. I'm not allowed to speculate, really. That's being irresponsible. Well, if that's the case, I'd rather be irresponsible than naive. And I'm not blasting Peterson. I'm not, I'm not blasting anybody. I think the science will always be a few steps ahead of the testing, and I think as modern medicine develops, the line is blurred between PEDs and non-PEDs, and that's fine. But just don't say anything at all about it. So no, I am not buying what Peterson is saying here. Not in the least. Fourth down segment is time for the Reamer rant. This week we're talking about Cincinnati Bengals linebacker James Harrison talking about HBO's Hard Knocks covering Bengals camp this year. Second time the Bengals have been profiled in HBO's hit show. Harrison had this to say, I'm reading off of ESPN.com about the Hard Knocks camera crew. Quote, I don't feel they deserve to be here. They did nothing to be here other than they want to be here. They didn't put in no blood, sweat, and tears into any of this. All these men here, they've done that. They did nothing. No one deserves to see this, to come inside, unless you're a part of this. Okay, chill out, dude. And no, I would never say this to Harrison's face because I don't want to get killed. 
I'm more comfortable calling him out in the confines of my basement with this microphone. So, no. I would never say this to Harrison's face, nor do I want to say it to his face. Thank you for asking. But, I am telling you, I think Harrison needs to shut it. I think all these football players need to shut it. You're not doing God's work. You're playing football. I mean, do any other athletes in any other sport talk like this? HBO had that show leading up to the Winter Classic. They didn't do it this year because of the NHL lockout. But... You know, did hockey, did the Penguins and Flyers a few years ago when they were profiled leading up to the Winter Classic, did you hear any player talk about, oh, the HBO cameras don't deserve to be here, they didn't put any blood, sweat, tears, they don't have broken bones, they don't deserve to be here. No, nobody said that. Any baseball players say that whenever there's a camera crew in the locker room or the clubhouse? They may get annoyed at the media, but no one says, oh, the media hasn't put in blood, sweat, and tears. You know, started spring training in February, playing until September, October. They don't put in the sacrifice. They don't work out in the offseason. They don't deserve to be here. No, nobody says that. Basketball players don't say it. Nobody says it except football players. Because they have a holier-than-thou aura about them, and it's ridiculous. Yeah, you're right, Har James. The HBO Hard Knocks camera people have not put in blood, sweat, and tears into the upcoming season. Nope, they haven't. So they don't have a right to be there with their cameras and film you? I mean, come on, dude. You might not like the media attention, you may not like the Hard Knocks crew, but don't pers personally bash them like this. It's gonna be awkward now around there, huh? I mean, but really, come, really, come on. How about the fans who show up to your preseason practices? Do they not deserve to be there either? Watching you play? How about the ones who pay hundreds of dollars to see you live on Sundays? Do they not deserve to be there? Or is it the free access that Harrison has a problem with? You know, if maybe each cameraman paid a couple hundred dollars, could he get access to a few Bengals practices and preseason games so he could do his job and film the TV show? Oh, come on, man. You're playing football. You're not doing God's holy work. Give it a rest. No other, no other athletes talk like this, except football players. It's holier than now. It's sickening. Get off the soapbox, James. Hit a quarterback with your helmet. Get fined tens of thousands of dollars. That's a James Harrison I want to see. I want to see you take off Ben Roethlisberger's head this year. That's all I want out of you. Enough with this righteousness, please. So thank you for tuning in, Football Nation Today, episode number 57. As always, if you want to leave a comment on the show, feel free to do so on our show page on footballnation.com. Always appreciate going back and forth with you folks, the listeners. If you want to reach me personally, send me an email, areamer at bu.edu is my email address. And also feel free to follow me on Twitter, at alexreamer1 is my Twitter handle. So long, everybody. Thank you for listening. We'll be back next Wednesday, the final few weeks of training camp beginning to preview this upcoming NFL season. We'll start with an NFC preview next week. Stay tuned for that. So long. Talk to you next on Wednesday.